there'll be more before it's over with, I'm sure. Uh, David came here um, uh, a while back, I forgot when, but he had jury duty. <laughs> and he looked up a, a church to go to on a Wednesday night. He's just that kind, you know. You'd think that'd be an excuse, you know, to go to the bowling alley or something, but he, <laughs> but he came here and... Um, and just say, he came in, he didn't say who he was. He did, you know, that's not fair, really. Um, so I wasn't on my best behavior. And, uh, and, uh, afterward I found out he's, uh, pastors in Benson. And, uh, we became fast friends. And once or twice a month we try to meet at Char Grill. There's this wonderful place, almost as good as Five Guys. Um, a Char Grill in Benson. And, um, and it just seems like that's an appropriate place to meet. He gets salad. I don't know why. Um, but, <laughs> well, uh, okay. <laughs> I didn't want to go there, but, <laughs> but I do feel better now. You're, you're actually, you're real. I can relate to you. <laughs> but the Lord gave me a friend. He gave me a friend, and when we get together, we don't talk about church stuff, how to do this, what's your church doing, how much, you know, how many you got. We don't talk about. We talk about Jesus, and um, I just leave there floating, just float. If you can imagine that, me hovering, you know. I'm, I, but I do, I, and I, I, I have to take notes. I mean, it's just so good, so good, and. And he's such an encouraging friend to me. He'll text me sometimes on Sundays and say, come on, brag on Jesus. I'm praying for you. I love you. And and, um, we all need somebody like that. We can be somebody like that. And so it's it's a great honor tonight to introduce not just a wonderful teacher, a wonderful uh, man of God, but he's a wonderful friend to me. David, come and, and let us have it, brother. I was getting excited about hearing whoever that guy he was talking about. I don't. Yeah. He called my name and I thought, good gracious, oops. I, I tell you guys, I, uh, it is an honor to be here. And uh, he, he's right, I did. I had, I had jury duty down here and I knew when I got that notice there had to be a mistake. I live in Benson, North Carolina. You don't get called to jury duty in Wilmington. And I come to find out it was a federal court case. And I've been, how many of you have been called? I've been called before and they always tell me to just go back home. And I thought that was going to be the case. And I didn't come prepared to stay and they kept me. And it's like a hundred miles. So I ended up having to stay and hang out. And I had somebody tell me, they said, you know, you're probably not down there just for jury duty. There's got to be some reason or purpose. Well, it took a week to figure that out. But after that, I said, I can endure, endure this week and a half trial we're going through here that's ex- about as exciting as watching paint dry. But uh, to meet Jeff and to and to have the connection then with so many of you guys here, Wes, it's just an honor to be here. And I, I, I tell you, I hope it's all right. And if it's not, you get over it. But I'm just going to be me and the Lord. And um, and listen, I, I, there's no pressure because I did not step up here to perform because I, I quit doing that a long, long time ago or even feeling that pressure. We don't do that. We're just here to brag on Jesus. And I hope you see him. 
just in a fresh way or just a reminder or something. Because it is about a genuine encounter with the lover of our soul. And he's not just off somewhere else. He is in each of us. Each of us. We encounter him in one another. So this week, I'm excited about this weekend and just the time. And like I said, I value this time here. This is this is precious when we get to speak and declare. But I also value all the time we have when we fellowship and we share with one another. Because every one of you have got something of Christ in you that somebody needs. They need that reality. They need that love. They need to cherish that. And so we're not here to perform. I, I think one thing ministers need to... Uh, uh, Understand and believers too. Just stay in your lane and be who you are in the Lord. I mean, I know it's a little cliche, but there ain't no need to try to be somebody else. Be yourself because everybody else is already taken. And God created you specific and just wants you to be who you are. Just relax. You don't have to sing like somebody else, pray like somebody else, teach like somebody else. Just be who you are in Jesus, because that's exactly who He's made you to be. If He wanted you to be like somebody else, you'd have been somebody else. But He made you the new creation that you are, and it's precious to Him. So I just want to take a little time tonight and brag on Jesus. I, if, again, if it's this isn't all right, they'll, just, they'll get over it, won't they? That's good. Because I quit preaching sermons a long time ago, and I just want to talk to you about Him. And just tell you a little bit about the goodness of who He is. And hopefully the Holy Spirit will share something with you that will hit your heart. That will encourage you. We don't have to get deep. Because some of the stuff we used to call deep was not deep at all. I've heard some people that were so just, I mean, they were bent on being sure they said something nobody else was saying. And I think they succeeded. I heard them say stuff I'm not even sure the Holy Spirit was saying. It's just Jesus. And if he's not enough for us, then we just need to step back and say, I hadn't seen you like I need to. I want to make a statement to start with, and then I want us to just take some uh, time and just look into the Scriptures and let the Holy Spirit speak to our heart. But I want you to listen to this. Grace is not a message that we're chasing. Grace is a person that has apprehended us. And there's a big difference. Grace... Or the finished work. And I believe all of that. I preach grace. I preach the finished work. It's the best I can understand it. But grace or the finished work or a message on sonship or the message of the kingdom. None of those things are meant to be messages that we chase after. Grace is about a living person who has already apprehended us. Now, Holy Spirit, help me understand what that means. Because it's going to determine the kind of life you live through me. It's going to be, it's going to determine the kind of experience that I have with you. But if I feel like it's something I'm chasing after. See, we've sold some, the Lord convicted me of something. Let me go here a minute. There's some people that we sort of cast off to the side because they didn't say grace 758 times when they preached. Now I'm not talking about getting into legalism or anything like, I, I don't, I don't want legalism any more than you do. But I've watched, Nolan and I were talking about this earlier, I've, I've looked back at some of the dear saints of God who had some awesome experiences and expressions of Christ, and we could probably sit down and nitpick some of their doctrine to pieces. 
some of the little th- some of the legalism and some of the stuff they did. I'm not talking about going back and trying to recapture that. We're not yearning for yesteryear in the Lord. What we're talking about though is a passion because some of you are products of what the Holy Spirit has sown into you through some dear saints. Your daddy, I told you, your daddy was one. That man was the real deal. And so many of us have seen and experienced that. But when we understand that grace is about one who has apprehended us, he's become my life. I've been through all of that, and I don't know all that it means, but when I began to make that turn where I realized it wasn't just about getting Jesus into my life, it was realizing that through the finished work of redemption and by the grace of God, Jesus has become my life. And it makes you see everything different because suddenly it's not that we're lost or we don't count, but it's about Him showing up through us again in the uniqueness of who you are. In the uniqueness of your relationship with Him. The uniqueness of what He's sharing. There's no, I don't know if this is an old saying or a proverb or what, but I remembered this. In our Western cultures, they say if we want to understand something, we'll dissect it. They say in Eastern cultures, though, if they want to understand something, they'll dance with it. So what's the difference? That almost sounds so deep it's dumb. But what he's saying is, we'll tear something apart, but you can't tell what it is once you've dissected it, you've killed it. If you want to know or understand something, you interact with it while it's living. Silly example, but I remember in school when they went through and we did the, the uh, how many of you dissected frogs? Wasn't that fun? That was a blast. I, we, we had a good time doing that. And you could say, I understand a frog now. And I go, no, you don't. You just, you took a dead frog and you cut him open and you looked at all these parts and pieces. If you want to really understand a frog, go down to the pond and watch how they are and interact with them while they're living. See, interacting with a message And I'm not downing the message, but if it's just a message of the finished work or a message of grace, it's like dissecting the pieces of Christ. I want to see grace in light of the living Savior. I want to see the finished work in light of the living Savior. And I believe that's the heart of what you preach. That's what these guys preach and live. But I want to understand it from that standpoint. I want you, if you if you want to, some of you note takers, if you want to write down, uh, I'm not going to turn and read all of this passage, but in Luke, the 24th chapter, I want to set this up as we go into sort of paint this picture as we go into what we're going to talk about tonight. And the Lord's going to hopefully share. But it's the passage. You remember when Jesus on resurrection morning is walking down and he comes up on these couple of disciples and the scriptures tell us one of them's name's Cleopas. I can't wait to meet Cleopas. Cleopas said something as smart as I would have said. But there are these two disciples on resurrection morning now walking to the road, down the road to Emmaus, and they're sitting there talking about what's happening. Isn't that amazing? They don't have a clue what's happened, but they're talking about it. <laughs> they're discussing what's going on and everything that's happening, and the Scripture says Jesus approached them and began journeying with them. And I thought, this is so funny. <laughs> and you know what Jesus asked them? The Scripture tells us that their eyes were held from recognizing now, the word held there is the same, it's the same word Jesus used when he talked about how you hold to the traditions of your fathers. In other words, you grip them, you grasp them. And some people say, well, I think the Holy Spirit just kept them from recognizing Jesus. And I'm not sure if that's the case or not. I don't think he's ever been one to hide who Jesus is. I think what held them from seeing Jesus standing right in their midst was what they thought they knew had happened. 
And so they didn't even recognize the resurrected Savior that's standing right there with them. But you know what? He didn't get all over them and beat them up or do anything to them. And I see such a parallel sometimes with us in the church. Because I I read a lot out of the New American Standard. And I like how the New American Standard says this. Jesus asked them this question. He said, what are these words you guys are exchanging? In other words, he said, what are you talking about? But the New American Standard says, so what are these words you guys are exchanging? And Cleopas, way to go, Cleopas. Cleopas turns to Jesus on the morning of the resurrection. No, he looks him in the eye and he said, man, are you the only one here that does not know what's going on? I think that has got to be the most ironic statement in all of the scriptures. On the morning of resurrection to look at Jesus and go, are you the only guy here that doesn't know what's going on? You know what he responded? So, what's going on? Tell me about it. I'm thinking, he has to be, you don't think God has a sense of humor. That's got to be, there's got to be some humor in that. He's the only one here that does know what's going on. Everybody else is clueless. But I see such a picture sometimes of us in the body of Christ. Here we are, we're walking along, we're in our journey, and Jesus is right in the midst. And sometimes what we've done, I've done it. We're just passing words back and forth. We take their grace message and their kingdom message, a little bit of the sonship message, some finished work message. We'll throw in some, some people like to sprinkle law in. We know we don't do that, don't do that. But we're just passing around our messages sometimes. And if that's all it is, we're just sort of shifting around. And all the while, the resurrected Savior is right there in the midst of us. And he's just walking along going, so what you guys talking about? Well, we know if you'll read on there that it goes on that, the Lord finally begins to reveal and talk. He begin, He still doesn't tell him who he is, but he begins to go through all of the scriptures. One thing I shared, I had a chance when, I, when we were here, I'll, I'll remind some of you guys. See, I learned years ago that the Bible is the greatest pop-up book that's ever been written. And I love pop-up books when I was a kid because they're just, they're just not flat. You know, you flip the page and boom, there it is. But that's what the scriptures are. When we see it through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, every single page you flip to, you'll see pop-up pictures of Jesus. You'll see pop-up pictures of redemption. We'll see ourselves in the narrative. And what happens when, when we see that thing come to life, we become a part of that living narrative that's Jesus. We become a part of that living grace. And so he's walking with them, and it says he begins to go through the scriptures and the prophets and the Psalms, and he's talking to them about himself. Isn't that cool? He's telling all this stuff. They still don't get it. They get to where they're going, and he was going to go ahead, and they go, no, 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 you stay. we got to sit down. And this is where we are in the body of Christ, thank God. So many have taken time to just sit down with Jesus. He said he reclined with them or sat with them at the table. And from a posture of rest, God can reveal a whole lot more about who he is. From a posture of sitting down, and it said that, interestingly enough, and I realize it's a real story. I mean, this really did happen. But see these neat parallels of of us and our relationship with the Lord. He said he took bread. He took the word. He took himself, the living word, and it said he blessed it. And he began to break it down to them so they could understand it and give it to them. And it said, and immediately their eyes were opened and they recognized him. See, I don't want to see another. I don't need more doctrine. I believe in sound doctrine. Amen? I believe the Scriptures teach sound doctrine. But I don't just need another doctrine. I don't need just better. Jesus didn't come so that I would have correct theology as opposed to incorrect theology. Jesus came because I needed life. 
He said, you need me, son. And I believe in sound doctrine and sound theology. And we need to break the word and hand it out and explain the finished work of the cross and explain grace as best we can through the Holy Spirit and go through all of those things. But when it comes down to it, what we need to see in that is the person of Jesus. And if that's not what excites me, then I'm not, I'm not seeing him for who he is. He doesn't get stale. That's one thing I love. His bread never gets stale. You'll never find moldy bread in the kingdom of God. It's fresh. It's living every moment, every day. Does it mean he keeps baking new bread? It's just always fresh. It's always new. It's always in that state. So here we are, the church. Here we are walking, and right now sometimes we're just passing out messages. You know, I kidded with them a little bit. I, I Sometimes I'll joke. <laughs> Y'all know me. I, I, I like to kid, joke around. And I, I ran up to him when I, when I saw Wes's shirt and I was real upset. I told him, I said, oh my gosh, it said God's not angry, Grace Conference. I thought it was the God is angry, Grace Conference. And I told him I don't have to completely change my whole message. But sometimes we've stood up places and we have heard things. And frankly, in the past, I've said things that came across more as the God who's ticked off. Can I tell you some good news? Not only is God not angry with you and I, He's never been angry with you and I. Now, I know some people go, I don't know if you've read the Old Testament or not, but but, um, if you'd like to flip over there for just a moment, I can show you God was really ticked off with those people. God's never been angry. You said it. Well, John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world. He did not decide to do that when John 3.16 was printed. He has always loved the world. What God abhorred was sin. His issue was with sin. See, we've got these two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, sitting there talking about what they think they know is going on, but what they needed to do was sit down with Jesus himself and say, begin to break this bread with me because I'm going to recognize the living Savior with me, and it's going to change everything. Suddenly, it was a happy day. What was really a bad day went, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. He's alive. Do you think they probably said, we'll probably keep this quiet? I bet they found somebody, not because it was their duty to do so. <laughs> My son wouldn't appreciate this story, but he's not here because he's grown now. But when when I was uh, when my son was small, sometimes you don't think your kids are paying attention in the church fellowships, but they really are. And I don't know if I shared this when I was here with you guys, but but I was ministering one Wednesday night, and I'm from the south, and I'm sorry I don't pronounce all the words very clearly. And so I was talking about our Christian duty, D-U-T-Y. And I said, sometimes we get caught up in doing our Christian duty, but I don't pronounce it like that. And I said, religion will just have us doing our Christian duty. Well, my son was down there, a small toddler, and he was coloring on the front row. And my wife just about lost it. He looked up when I said that, and he said, he looked at, he looked at my wife, his mom, and he said, oh, Daddy said duty in church. And she said, she couldn't stop me. I said it about two or three more times. And each time he brought to light, he said, Daddy said duty again. <laughs> I had opportunity. I was uh, ministering in South Carolina 
And we were there, uh, my wife and I were down with the pastor's wife, and we were telling kids stories, and that one came up. Anyway, I got back to the motel room and was getting ready for things the next day, and I got to thinking about that, and it got me kind of tickled, James. I was thinking Christian duty and Christian duty, and it's like the Spirit of the Lord said, there ain't a lot of difference. He said, your religious Christian duty is nothing but Christian duty. And if you think I'm being crude, there is scripture for that. Because Paul said, all of these things I count as dung. Duty. For the sake of knowing Him, nothing that I could do in and of myself, none of my performance, nothing that I could pull off, counts for anything. It's just about knowing Him. And you've got to understand, Paul gave up a lot. Paul was on the ladder to success, a Pharisee among the Pharisees. I'm telling you, he was in line for a good, good career job, executive suite. You know, he'd have uh, keys to the gym and everything, five-star hotels, everything going for him. He gave it all up to follow this crazy guy named Jesus and say, I'll forsake all of that. And it is absolutely worthless, not just looking at it in light of knowing him. So I don't want to be, and my heart is, God, I don't want to be some disciple that's walking down the road running my mouth so much that I think I know everything going on. I want to be sure I'm hearing you. And all the while, you're gracious, and he's talking to me, and what's going on? But when I sit down, he begins to share, and he begins to make it clear. And here's what the Scripture tells us. This is the message that the forerunner to Jesus, the prophet who was greater than any prophet ever born of woman, in 1 John, John said what? Here's the, here's the depth of his message. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sin of the world. Because sin was our problem. Sin was the issue. Sin was what God had issue with. He didn't hate humanity. He didn't hate mankind. We could not stand in the, the merits of our own behavior, our own works, No matter how determined we might be, we stood constantly and always in a condition of sin and disqualified before God. But John the Baptist, like no other prophet up until Christ came, they all prophesied one coming. John the Baptist pointed at him and said, there's the one. And when he said the Lamb of God, he wasn't obviously talking about a woolly creature. They understood this. I'm sure it went right back to Passover. He's talking about one that's coming to sacrifice. There's one coming to lay down his life. There's one coming to die for us and as us. There's one coming that we might be identified with him. Just like Paul could say, the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is not something we are spectators of looking back. It's something that we were made in the heart of God participants in. I have been crucified. You have been crucified with Christ. But behold the Lamb to begin to see Him for who He is. When He said Lamb, He's talking about a sacrifice. He's talking about a servant. He's talking about one who's come to give it all, to be the one that is going to redeem us out of this condition that God abhors. God hated sin. Why? Because it kept us separated from having the relationship with Him He wanted. He wanted to know us. He wanted to hang out with us. He wanted to be with us. You know, I don't get, I don't, I hope, matter of fact, I hardly ever do fly. Um, or get out uh, a lot. But I, the Lord shared something with me that struck me one time. I, I had gotten an invitation. I was getting ready the next day, next morning to go fly out up to Ohio and minister at a fellowship up there. It's kind of one of these little whirlwind uh, uh, weekend kind of things. 
sort of like you guys are having. You just kind of fly in and then you, you fly out. But it's a wonderful time while you're there. But see, the night before, Jeff, you'll appreciate this. I don't eat salads all the time. So I was going to get something for my family. They just needed something to eat. And so I said, well, let me run out. It, it's late. Everything's closed. And we don't go here often. It might be the last time we went, but we were going to Taco Bell. That's okay. And I wasn't going to get a salad. I was getting, you know, one of those imitation meat tacos that they make. Well, I'm driving down the road, heading to uh, Taco Bell there. Um, it's, we live a little bit out of town. I'm sitting here thinking, you know, tomorrow I'm going to fly out. I get to go up there and, you know, you just, you, some people would say, what a wonderful thing. You're going to stand in the pulpit and this, you know, this church fellowship in another state and declare and brag on Jesus. And the Lord made it very clear to me, said, son, there's nothing any less holy about this moment than there will be about that moment. It's not to take anything away from that. But the word holy means none other than. There's nothing like it. Every moment that we take a breath, every moment that we live, every moment we have in Christ is holy. There's none other than. It's unique to Him. It's precious. And we should celebrate that moment and celebrate Christ in that moment. It's a blast to stand up and preach and brag on Jesus. But this doesn't give us our identity. This doesn't make us who we are. This doesn't make Him love us better or love us more. And that's not what any of this is about. It's about beholding the Lamb and knowing that no matter what I'm doing, if I'm riding late at night to Taco Bell to get some tacos, if you're waking up in the middle of the night trying not to stump your toe while you go to the bathroom, or if you're standing up singing a song of praise, every one of them is just a moment to encounter, to share, and to be with Jesus, to hang out with Him, to love on Him, and to realize that He's one that came and took away the sins of the world. Let me give another scripture to you here. Romans 3.25. Matter of fact, let me, let me read a little bit here to you. It's kind of amazing. I'm at that age now. I have to take my glasses off to read. I don't understand that, but... Uh... I want to give a word to you, and then uh, we're, we're going to explain it. A lot of you know what it means, but it's it's one of these fancy Bible words that um, I, I guarantee you, you probably have not used it in a sentence in a long time. And it's the word propitiation. How many of you have used that in a sentence lately? Just doesn't come up much, does it? We're going to break it down for you for a moment. Let me just read a little bit of Scripture to you in Romans, the third chapter. The 21st verse, starting there. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by His grace through righteous, or through redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. When God displayed publicly as a pro, a pro, listen to that. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because of the, in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time so that He would be just and the justifier of the ones who have faith in Jesus. So God was just, and that's why Jesus had to come. But he was the justifier because he was the sacrifice. The scripture says something there, and it says that Jesus became our propitiation. The reason God is not angry is because he dealt with the issue of sin. Propitiation, 
pointed to the mercy seat. How many of you know what the mercy seat is? In the Old Testament, God gave instructions to the children of Israel or to Moses to build this mobile tabernacle. It's just wonderful pictures of Christ and redemption in that. But part of that was in the Holy of Holies. He built this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant, he put the mercy seat. The Ark of the Covenant um, was made of acacia wood and layered in gold, and the mercy seat was solid gold. It gives wonderful, wonderful dimensions. I mean, we could almost recreate this thing. We literally could because the dimensions are just perfect. It never did tell you how thick or how deep that mercy seat was because you can't measure the depth of God's mercy. And there that mercy seat was, and on that mercy seat there were two cherubims and their wings stretched out. And what would happen is, once a year, during the Feast of Tabernacles, on the tenth day of that feast, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. This was the Day of Atonement. Now, interestingly enough, this high priest, before he could do anything, did you know he had to sacrifice a bull for his own sins? Think about it. He had to ceremonially cleanse himself before he could be the representative for all of Israel. Aren't you glad Jesus was a spotless lamb and a spotless sacrifice? Jesus didn't have to die to get his sins straight or get his issues straight with the Father. He was pure and holy. But this high priest was a picture of Christ. This redemptive work that we see on Calvary has all of these wonderful types and shadows and pictures. And I just want to take a moment to look at this one because I want you to see something about this mercy seat. When the scripture said, I will rest beneath the shadow of the Almighty, I believe that was the reference that he was making right there. On the Day of Atonement, there were two goats. Some of y'all are very familiar with this. The high priest, Aaron, would lay his hands, or whoever the high priest was at the time, they'd lay their hands on one of these goats, and they'd confess all of the sins of Israel over it. Why? Because God was dealing with all of our sins, past, present, and future. That's a wonderful thing to realize. We need to understand how God's dealt with that and taken away the sins and all of those things that were between us and God. There is nothing between me and God. The only problem that I have is not between me and God. It's between my left ear and my right ear. It just needs to be corrected. I need some, I need understanding. But so here is Aaron and he'd lay his hands on this goat, and they'd confessed the sins of Israel over it, and it said he was led by a righteous man out into the wilderness. Some people say he was cast off a cliff, but it did not come back. The other goat was sacrificed. When that goat was sacrificed, it says, and you can read over in Leviticus, that the high priest would take the blood of that goat this one time of year into the most holy place. Because, see, what God was doing was dealing with our sins And what it pictured was what Jesus was doing through his death, burial, and resurrection once for all, for all time. Dealing with that sin, to take that sin out of the way. We need to behold the Lamb. And he would take that blood in, and the Scripture says that he would put the blood and apply it one time onto the mercy seat. He would drop it seven times, seven drops of blood before the mercy seat into the ground. And what that simply speaks of is it was a one-time act towards God. And we see all this imagery, but seven is a number of perfection. It did a perfect work in the earth. God didn't get it almost right. He got it all the way right. And the word propitiation has to do with the forgiveness of sins and the turning away or the satisfying of wrath. 
When we understand that the reason God's not angry was He was never angry with us to start with. He was angry with sin. And what the Lamb came to do was not get us out of the way, it was to get sin out of the way. And when we begin to see that Jesus became our mercy seat, something changed. Let me give an illustration. Can I get you, Jeff and Wes, can you guys help me out? Okay, come on. I don't know what they're going to do. Isn't it something when you call them up? Now what I'd like y'all to do is do 75 jumping jacks. And No, I... I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. This is just a neat picture. Some of y'all have probably seen this, but this always comes to mind. Now, at the see, Jesus became our mercy seat, and the point of his resurrection and this newness of life changed everything. Now, remember, the mercy seat is this, this lid that sits on the Ark of the Covenant, and it's got these two cherubim on it that face each other. Now, what did the disciples find that went to the tomb where Jesus was resurrected out of? There was an angel sitting at the head, and then there was an angel sitting at the foot. Now lift your wings up. What we find right here at the point of Jesus' resurrection was, that thing was just a type shadow and a picture. But he gave him another picture to say, your living propitiation, Jesus Christ, happened right here at this point of resurrection. Because he was raised, because he was... See, the Scripture tells us that he was delivered up because of, what? Our transgressions. He was raised because of our justification. In other words, the reason he went to the cross was because of our transgressions. The reason he could be resurrected was because sin had been dealt with and we were declared justified, not guilty. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You guys did great. When we begin to see these pictures and we see the reality, but it points us to a living Savior and His name is Jesus. And we begin to see that He came and He dealt with the sin of mankind. How did He deal with it? He who knew no sin, God made to be sin. So that we could be made the righteousness of God in Him. To the extent He was made sin is to the extent we were made righteous. He became and identified with what we were. Another example I remember here, and this will tell you how far back it was, because I thought it was, I thought it was so cool when, uh, when uh, Jeff was sharing about here in uh, James. And I'm going to tell you something. You guys have to understand, I, there's a part of me wants to finish in a hurry because I honestly have never met James. It's the first time we've met, and I have heard so many good things about him, and I'm just looking forward to hanging out in fellowship, and I really am, brother. Looking forward to getting to know you this weekend. But, but I thought it was so cool when, when Jeff told the story. Some of, you, some of you don't even know. There's a generation. He said, I had this tape in my car, and they're thinking, what, a tape? What's that? What, what's a tape? A cassette tape. I'm telling you, cassette tapes were awesome, man. They replaced them big giant vinyl records that skipped and scratched so much. Or that 8-track that would skip right in the middle of a song when it changed tracks. But, but this example will tell you how old it was. Here's what God did. If you've got a tape and there is um, an error on that tape. Now, we used to duplicate tapes in our fellowship same way. And you would have a du- uh, tape. They called it a tape duplicator. And you had a slot for the master. And then uh, you could have, they, a lot of them had several different ports. Ours, we had three other ports, and we put a tape in there. Now, if you had a problem on the master tape, 
what was going to happen to everything that got duplicated? It was going to reproduce the same problem. Well, see, by one man, sin entered the whole world, and that was Adam. Romans tells us that. So Adam's got this issue of sin. Now, we can say, I wasn't there. It didn't matter. We all came out of Adam. And so when Adam recreated, every one of those tapes had the error on it. It's called sin. Now, every one of those, they got stuck in one day and became a master and recreated. But every one of them carried the same defect as the one before, the one before. And we trace it all the way back to a man in a garden who allowed sin to enter in, and he passed it on to everybody. So when Jesus showed up on the scene, there weren't just two people here named Adam and Eve that had fallen and needed redemption. There was a world full of people. What in the world is he going to do? Because we got a problem here with this master tape. And this tape is not going to do anything but reproduce what's on it. I don't care how hard you try. You can change the label. You can put smiley faces on it. You can do, you can dress it up any way you want to. Give it a different case. Call it what you want. But the defect is on the tape. You can say, we just won't play it. We won't show it. Doesn't matter. The defect is there. And God said, the defect is sin. And you need to behold the lamb that's coming to be your propitiation. Because he's going to satisfy the wrath and remove the sin so that I can do something about this. But there was still the problem. What do we do? We got this issue here and we keep reproducing the problem. Jesus said, I'm going to get rid of the tape. I am going to remove it. And what Jesus did, the Scripture says, people say Jesus was the last Adam. Jesus was the last Adam in His resurrection. Jesus was not the last Adam in His crucifixion. Because Jesus was identifying with the last Adam in His crucifixion. The last Adam, uh, excuse me, I got that backwards, didn't I? But y'all knew it. You gave me grace, didn't you? He said, dumb boy, don't. he's saying it wrong. He was identifying with the first Adam in his crucifixion. He was the last Adam, the last of the new creation in his resurrection. But what he had to do was identify with that first Adam who was dead in sin. So you might say that Jesus Christ hung on the cross and all of the defect that sin was, God wound up on that master tape that was Jesus. And he became sin. And then here's what God did. He crucified it. It died. He died and was buried. Just like the goat that was sacrificed. Just like the sins that were carried off into the wilderness. And he absolutely destroyed the old tape. Knowing this. That our old man has been crucified with Christ. So that the body of sin, or so that that sin might be rendered powerless. The body of sin has been rendered powerless. Why? Because our old man, who we used to be, was done away with in Christ. So he took that cassette tape. Some of y'all are getting an education. And I always tell them, if you're too young, Google it when you get home and you'll see that, those little things. So he took that master tape and he wound up everything on it. All of the sin. The, not just the actions of sin, but the nature of sin that defined us. He wound up on that tape and God crucified it. He judged the sin and He destroyed it. Now, He did not resurrect a better version of the old Adam. This is not just improved over the old. Listen, you know, I get tickled at the guy. He said he, he walks through the store and he sees like the cans of Alpo and it says improved taste. And he always wondered, he said, man, don't you feel sorry for the guy that has to make that decision? (laughs) 
But what you still got is the same old can of dog food. You can prove it. God did not. The New Testament is not the Old Testament on steroids. It's not an addendum to it. It is a new covenant, a new relationship based on a new man. If there's a new man, there's a new priest, a new law, everything. That's why the law could be done away with. We're not left lawless. Don't pre- we can't preach half of it. It's true we're not under the law of commandments. But I'm under the law of the spirit of life in Christ because I'm in the resurrected one. So Jesus resurrected brand new and we're in him. So when he reproduced, we got a different master now. He's the federal head of a whole new race of people called the new creation. And everything good about Jesus, everything that defines God, everything about his nature, everything, his glory, his goodness, his mercy, his righteousness, his peace, everything about him is reproduced. We're born not like him. We're born of him. Oh, I like that. That's really good. We're really his kids. Because, see, sometimes we think, and, and I'm not, please don't take this wrong, because I, ado- I think adopted kids are loved in the heart. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes a kid that's adopted said, well, they're not my real parents. And sometimes I used to feel like I was kind of adopted. He just called me his kid because I was in the whole herd of people that came in. And, well, he just didn't want to pick and kick me out. But he liked Noel and James, and he said, they can come in, and, well, just let the other kid in too. But, no, we're all kids. We're his children. We're, gener- we're literally his spiritual offspring. And he said, when I look at you, I see myself. Because I put you, that's who I put in you. When you look into the Word, you see a reflection of Christ and we can begin to find who we are. Yeah, Peter never knew who he was. Pete, I, I like Pete. Pete flew off the handle so much, but Pete got that one right. Who do they say I am? Well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he said, and you're Peter. Up until that point, he was not Peter. He was Simon. Because when he found out who Jesus was, he could finally find out who he was. Because his identity was completely wrapped up in him. And that's the picture I see in that. If I want to know who I am, I'm not going to go out and try to discover myself. I just need to see Jesus. When I see him, I go, I'm born of you. That must be who I am. Now help me to just believe that and understand that. Because I can't change that. Sometimes I think I'm still getting reproduced off the old tape. The only thing about the old tape that runs is that bad song that used to play in our brains. That's why our minds have to be renewed because we're going to be singing the songs of Adam. And he said, no, you need to sing a new song. You're a new creation, so the new creation needs a new song. Quit singing the one that was on the old tape. Quit singing the one that used to be because you're not who you used to be. I've redefined you in spirit. So being a new creation is not trying to change into something we're not. It's waking up to who we are in Christ. That's pretty liberating. My, my, I don't know about you, though. My problem is, is I sometimes just think that's just too good to be true. And I just struggle with it in my own brain. And I go, I just can't be. I'm just such a rascal and a scoundrel sometimes. And he said, son, no, you're not. You may do some scoundrelly things. Number one, I don't even hold those against you. I'm not even keeping record of those, but it's done out of a mistaken identity. God's not trying to get the sin out of the church. God's trying to wake us up to righteousness. He's trying to show us that He is in the church. He is in His body. He is in His believers. He's trying to show us what's on that new tape. That master tape can only reproduce what's on it. God can only reproduce of Himself. So if we're born of Him, we might not think a lot of ourselves in our own mind or our own understanding, but we better humble our hearts and realize it ain't what we think about us, it's what He thinks about us. It's who He says that we are, and that's liberating. 
That's freeing. That doesn't make us want to run out and go sin, people. We kid about that. Grace gives people a little. You preach grace, you're just going to lead them to sin. No, you preach grace, you're going to lead them to Jesus. Because grace is about a person, and His name is Jesus, and He has liberated us. Romans 5.21 tells us that sin reigned. Do you know what Jesus did? He absolutely crushed the reign of sin. And it says that now grace reigns. You had to stick a label on this. It's grace reigns. And His name is Jesus. He became our propitiation. He became the one who took away the sin, who satisfied God's wrath and judgment upon sin. Because God was just. But at the same time, He was the justifier. He, when, when, when Abraham was up on that mountain and, and Isaac, I mean, Isaac said, Daddy, where's the sacrifice? I see the wood and all of this. That's a pretty good question. We're going to sacrifice. Come on, boy. <laughs> I don't know. I, I love my daddy and stuff, but you know, after a while you're going, this thing's not looking. I don't know if this thing's. We got all this stuff and suddenly daddy's tying you up. You know what he told him? Daddy, where's the sacrifice? God will provide himself. A sacrifice. Now, I know he was saying God will provide the sacrifice. But see, in the New Testament, God provided himself. The lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It was not an afterthought. God already had it fixed before we could ever break it. God already had it undone and back in the right place better than it was in the beginning. And when we realize that, God's not caught off guard by anything happens in your life. You didn't mess up so bad that the grace of God's not bigger than that. You can't make a wrong turn. You make a wrong turn, you run into grace. There, there's, there's a song, and I, I almost hate to say it's a secular song. We say that's secular, but it's such a great line in it. And it's, uh, I, 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 I don't remember all the line, but see, everybody wants to just get swept away, and, and, and we want to fall in love. And I love this line. It's a Stevie Nicks song, actually, and it's talking about this wonderful place it is, and, and there's a line in it that says, Love was everywhere. All you had to do was fall. And I thought, I can do that. I can fall. I can just yield. See, the love of God, the peace of God, the joy of God, the redemption of God that dwells in, it's just, we're in Christ everywhere we look in Christ. And He is just lay down and fall. You're in His arms. You're in His heart. Everything you need for life and godliness, we already have. And God didn't make a mistake. And the other, <laughs> the, the other tape is never going to resurrect. I think I can say this here, and if I can't, y'all, y'all forgive me later. But I, 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 we all got styles of music, right? We like, and, and um, boy, you just well, I'm so nervous because Noel said something about the Cowboys, and it's just sort of upset some folks. And I'm, I'm, uh, my favorite, and if you love it, that's cool. My favorite is not as much Southern gospel, and and it's not the style of the music. It's just some of the stuff that that we we'd hear sometime. And I, I had opportunity to go minister at a homecoming at a church fellowship one time. And they would have homecoming, a big dinner, and a gospel group that would sing. And um, they decided after it was time for the gospel group to sing, you know, 
a third of the people had gone home, another third were helping clean, and so they didn't get to enjoy it. So what they were going to do is just have the gospel group sing, and then they were going to let me minister, and we were going to eat lunch, and that was fine. And, and I love these people, and I, I want to be careful because we're not uppity or anything about this, but it was one of those things where you got done. All my wife could say when it was over, she goes, I sure am glad I don't have to get up and preach after that. And I thought, thanks for the encouragement, honey. It, because it was it was sort of that it was a little bit of that mentality about how everything's so terrible here and everything's so rotten here and you really can't celebrate redemption because it's awful but praise God when we die it's going to be such a party can't you wait to die but just hang on for another sixty seventy eighty years and we'll get there and 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 I remember sharing this this statement and they had the the lady and she was sweet lady she really was and she was the, she was the matriarch of of the group you could tell she led it she played the piano and sang. And when I was sharing, I remember, you know, when you have those moments, you guys have had them where somebody, you just see their eyeball, they just go, oh, my gosh, it just hit them. And I remember telling them we were talking about, and where I was going with this was, we, sometimes we think that old Tate, that old guy, we talk about Adam, you never know when he's going to rise up on you, you know. I mean, have you heard that? I, I probably was time. I guess I believe that you never, you never know. It's just Adam. He's rising up on you. And I made the comment. I said, when we say that, it's just an ignorance to the word. And she looked at me. She just, I saw her go. And then she gave you one of those kind of nice church lady looks that just sort of. And I thought, I don't know if I want to look back over there. I'm not trying to rile anybody up. But I said, but if we understand the scripture, Romans 6, 6 says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Christ. I said, we've been preaching the resurrection of the wrong man. And when I said that, that woman said. And you could just see it dawn on her. And I thought, I've had those moments, and Lord, I want more of those dawnings of your grace, of your mercy. Because, again, I'm not pursuing a message of grace. It's not chasing the doctrines of grace. It's understanding that grace is this beautiful, wonderful Savior who has apprehended me and overwhelmed me and changed me so that my whole life doesn't have to be about me. It just becomes about Him. Because as we said, sin reigned. But we've come to this point where grace reigns. Grace reigns. What does grace look like? Jesus. Well, what does He look like? We're still finding out. We're still seeing. We're still like little kids with our jaws just dropped open going, Oh my gosh. Grace is even more amazing than I thought it was. Mercy is more amazing than I thought it was. Love is greater than I ever could imagine or fathom. Peace. You mean I really, I can have peace right now? I don't have to wait for something after something or this to take place or that to take place. See, the reason that we share the reason that we minister, the reason that we expound the Word in any setting like this, if it's standing in these settings, if it's over a cup of coffee, it's just you and your Bible and the Holy Spirit. It's because He wants you to see Him. He wants you to know Him. He wanted to share Himself. God didn't have a defect in Him. God wasn't lonely. But He chose to say, I'm just so full of love. I've got to give it to somebody. And so I'm going to create me some people. I'm going to create me a Jeff. 
And you know what? When I create Jeff, all my love, all my mercy, everything that I am and all of the totality that I am in God, I'm going to just step right into spirit with him and become one and explode. I'm going to talk to him. He's going to bust so big he's got to tell somebody. You've got to share it with somebody. And it's not because we have to. It's because we get to. We can't help but just expound this mercy and this grace. But you know what breaks my heart sometimes? I've been there. You've been there. Those moments when we feel like we've been forsaken. We feel like we don't measure up. We feel like we've been disqualified. I told some people, how many of you watch the Olympics? Did you see me there? (laughs) You didn't? There's a reason. I'm not qualified. I couldn't qualify. I told some folks I played a little badminton one time. But after watching them play badminton, I can't even play badminton. There's things we're not qualified for. But we don't have to try to keep qualifying ourselves for love. We don't have to keep qualifying ourselves for acceptance. And so many of God's kids feel disqualified, feel guilt, feel the condemnation. If we'll see He was our propitiation, if we'll see that mercy seat, that He was resurrected because we've been justified. We've been declared innocent and not guilty. He took away the sin of the world. And if He took away the sin of the world, He took away mine. And He took away yours. So that we could have a relationship that will literally blow our socks off. Praise God. Praise God. (laughs) I'm telling you, Jesus is just so easy to brag on. He's just so easy to brag on. Just take just a minute. just, Just close your eyes. Lord, for us to say thank you does not even measure up to the magnitude of the gift. And yet I believe it blesses your heart. Because in sincerity of our gratitude, Lord, when we look into the amazing grace of our Savior, when we look into the love of our Heavenly Father, when we look and see the magnitude As the Holy Spirit takes us on a survey of that wondrous cross, your death, your burial, and your resurrection. When we can see that the one who hung up on that cross that was crucified, died, and buried was not the one quick and raised and seated. Our old man found his end right there. Sin found its end right there. Condemnation, guilt, performance, our earnings and our merit, it all ended. And Lord, we're qualified by sacrifice. It's not the sweat of Adam. It's the blood of Jesus that has redeemed us. And Lord, we're not just redeemed for something one day. Lord, we're redeemed for today. We're redeemed. We're set free. 
We have new life. We have your life for this moment right now. And Lord, I just feel to pray for those that may be sitting in this room. Maybe they're struggling with something. Maybe they've been dealing with something in their life that just I, that they feel like has really been tripping them up. It's been a struggle for them. It just seems to loom always there. Almost like a weight around their leg as they try to walk. And they've wrestled with it and they've churned with it and they've tried to overcome it. God, I pray they would just be liberated to do what your word says. Not to fix their eyes on themselves. Not to fix their eyes on their sin. But to fix their eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of their faith. To fix their eyes on the lover of their soul. To fix their eyes on a mercy that's been poured out on them and a grace that is living because it's you, Jesus. And to see those things, not because we focus on them, not because we wrestle with them, but because in light of your glory, in light of your grace, in light of your life that is in us, things just begin to just fall away. They don't have a hole. They don't have a place. Not because we wrestled with them. Not because we confessed them enough. It's just because we set our eyes on you. Let us be so enamored and captured by you, Lord. We do need repentance in the church, but it's not what the church is often taught as repentance. It's not us bawling and squalling and trying to get our slate clean and confess all of our sins and get scrubbed up and continually trying to sanitize what you've completely sanctified, as one brother said. But Lord, we need a metanoia. We need a change of mind. We need to change our mind and believe for the kingdom of God is right here. Because the king dwells in his tabernacle. He dwells within his church. He lives within us. And so, God, we just declare the liberty that you declared. Live free. Lord, you live free through us. That's the empowerment of grace. And I pray that hearts be encouraged. Lord, there's some that are wrestling with decisions. They've got steps they need to make, choices they need to make, and they're in a quandary. They don't know which way to go or what to do. I thank you that you said that your sheep will know your voice. That's not our promise, that's yours. You speak clear enough, you lead clear enough, and you nudge clear enough, they'll know. I pray their hearts be at rest. Stop striving, stop. Just let that go. The Lord will make very clear. And regardless of what the choice is, you step right into grace. He's a redeemer and reconciler. We thank you, Lord, for your encouragement, for your spirit. And Lord, I just thank you for all that you're going to be doing this weekend. In our hearts, in our midst, in the relationships that you're building and growing, nurturing. And in us allowing allowing us the privilege To just see you a little clearer. To experience you a little deeper. A little sweeter. For Lord, we can say we love you. and We do. But the real deal is, you love us. And you love us with a love we can't fathom or imagine. But it has swept us away. And we thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God.
Man, I wish I could sing. I'd sing right now. I just feel so good. But that would just change the spirit and just ruin it, wouldn't it? <laughs> I believe I'm done with what the Lord had on his heart. I'll give David a round of applause. Awesome. Awesome word. We appreciate it.